0: But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. And now may the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our salvation. Amen. You will have come across, no doubt, that sense, that faint whiff of panic which has inhabited the Church of England for many a long decade. And that whiff of panic is to do with the graph, which is the graph of church attendance. This is the graph which has this downward trend, the sort of downward trend that you would welcome if you're a cyclist out for a long cycle but a bishop would not be quite so keen to see. This downward trend in numbers, attendance in the Church of England has been there for many a long decade, it's really been there since 1910 or so but it carries on regardless and there are responses which are made panicky responses which are made by the church in many along in many a different way you would have seen this you who have the advantage of years over me will have seen many of these things in practice i'm sure that even on these hallowed steps of this church you would have encountered uh, vicars with rainbow guitar straps you would have encountered the great dread that there is of puppets being used within sermons You'll have had vicars who are trying to be your friend because if they feel if they can be friendly, well, then people will come. We've changed the way that our services are done. We have got rid of the traditional language that is found in the Book of Common Prayer or in Rite B or in Series 2, I think. I'm trying to think which series you would have had the uh, traditional language. That's before my time but you would have had that and we'd have changed the language, but ultimately we've not seen much of a shift there. And we've had other responses. Well, let's try and get rid of those bits of the Christian message, the theology of the church, which is to say its great structure of beliefs. Let's get rid of bits of those. Let's get rid of the bits that people don't like and see whether that works. And it hasn't worked none of these shifts none of these changes have challenged have stopped this downward trend that has been the church of england's the figures still go down and if that isn't bad enough when we look around into the wider society because we are a state church let's look at the state when we look around at the wider society it all looks rather unpromising There are parts, growing parts of the society, which are like the path in the parable. This path where nothing will take root, this path that is antithetical, which is anti-Christian in many ways. This is the path which is inhabited by these birds which pluck up the seed that falls on it before it can even grow. I don't want to go down this metaphor too far, but I wonder whether some of those birds which come and pluck up the seed can be likened to the radical atheists that we see, the Dawkins and the rest of them who preach a gospel which they don't believe in, or at least preach against the gospel they don't believe in. And so we think, well, what are we going to do about that? And what are we going to do about the fact that much of our society is frankly quite shallow? in its entertainment. It doesn't like to think too deeply on things. No, why think deeply when we've got the x factor? Why think deeply when we can watch Big Brother or we can wonder whether which celebrity may get out of the jungle? I'm saying all of these things, you see, to try and be relevant. I've watched none of them. I haven't got a clue what's in them. But nonetheless, we have a society which isn't marked for it by its depths. If anything, we might say that many people have hidden shallows, and rather like the rocky soil, we find that things don't take root in it. We have sometimes people who seem to accept the gospel. They have at times people that seem to accept Christianity, but it doesn't seem to last. They, they come along, they may enjoy some of the nicer parts of the message. they might enjoy this idea of a God who loves us but he doesn't seem to have deep roots. And other parts of society are full of these thorns of pleasure, ease, money, reputation, which means that when Christianity begins to take root, it may quickly be choked. So we've got this less, we've got this panic in the church and we're not quite sure what to do about it. But there are answers. There are answers in this very parable itself. And the answers come when we read the parable carefully you see when you look at the parable there's nothing particularly extraordinary about the sower he's not named we know that he is a sower a sower that's all we know about him we could possibly say that he wasn't a particularly accurate sower all this business with seed on the path wasn't ideal but nonetheless there is nothing particularly extraordinary about the sower in the parable, he's simply the one who broadcasts the seed, who spreads the seed around. There's nothing extraordinary about the soil either. Ancient Jews, those who were sitting uh, listening to Jesus preaching from the boat as he was at that time, they would have known all about Paths that are beaten down by centuries' worth of people. This is the only way you could get around in the ancient world without maps. You had to follow the road network, the great King's Highway, as it was known, that ran from Syria down the Mediterranean coast down towards Egypt. These paths would have been well known and well trodden, and they would have been baked hard in the sun that was there. They knew about these different kinds of soils, the shallow soil with the rocks on the edge of the desert. They knew all about this, the thorny thickets that grew up in places. This was all good stuff. What would have caught the ear of the ancient Jew listening to this, though, was the seed. The seed, we read, produces grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, it's at this point that I go on to slightly dodgy ground, but I've tried this out at Woolhope, and there were far, not at Woolhope, but Mordeford, and there were farmers present, at least James Hereford was there and nobody really said I was wrong on this, so I'm going to go for it anyway, trusting that I'm right. You see, when I Googled "Yield for seeds," I was not getting figures given to me of 60, 30 or 100-fold. In fact I learned that often in the ancient world in order to try and get a sustainable crop that could repeat itself year on year you had to try and get a yield of three. I think the idea was as for every three seeds that you sowed one might come up. So you wanted a threefold yield now, obviously, you'd also rather hope to eat some of the stuff that you've grown, so you might want to get a bit higher than that, maybe up to sort of five or six or so seemed to be what people were saying. Then I thought, well, let's try and bring it up to the current present day. And so I looked at crop yields now, and I went on various farming websites that talked about these things. And, you know, I couldn't make head of it. I have got a clue what's going on. So I'm going to stick with my fivefold as being pretty good, and I'm going to double it and say maybe ten. Fold is what you might want to get from a field these days, who knows? But none of you, well, you might, Christopher, some of you might be able to contradict me on this. We shall see when I get to the end of the service. But the point is, at least in the ancient world, this was extraordinary the yields. And it's the seed that in many ways is at the heart of this parable. We call it the parable of the sower, but that's not the title. Actually, the seed is the extraordinary thing and the seed here is the word of the kingdom. This is what Jesus says. It is, in our terms, the gospel. And this gospel is the thing. Which Jesus wants us to notice. This gospel is the thing that produces this extraordinary yield when it does take root. This gospel is the thing which we should see as the answer to the worries and the woes of the church. Not so many grants, not so many changing of our theology, but rather the gospel. This is the answer. You see, and here I did test this out at Mortified, and I seem to get away with this, so I think this is true. There are things that we know about seeds. We have to receive the seed in order to sow it. You can't open your big book of seeds and get a recipe and put it in the oven at gas mark four for 25 minutes and get it out and hey Pesto, you've made a seed. It doesn't work like that. The seed is something which is given to you either in a packet Obviously, you go down the garden centre or you may get it from the plants, but it is something which you have to receive. You can't make it up. You have to receive it. The gospel of Christ is something we merely receive from the scriptures. We can't make it up. It is something that is given to us. And it's interesting when you look at the different kinds of soil. It's not as if we read, a sower went out to sow and on the soil type A he sowed seed type A and on soil type B he sowed seed type B. No, there was the same seed that was sown everywhere. It's not as if we have one gospel for more Deferred, one gospel for Willow Hope, one gospel for found hope. It's not as if we have one gospel for a village somewhere down in sub-Saharan Africa as, and a different gospel for the 46th story of a tower block in New York. No, God is God and humans are humans. There is one gospel. And so we have to preach the same or witness to the same gospel wherever we are at whatever time. And also, there's no point cutting a seed up, hoping to get two plants from it. You cut a seed up, and I was told at Mordiford that the seed dies. Now, I have members of gardening clubs here at present. Is that right? Am I still getting... Because if I try this out at Woollope and get it wrong, I'm really going to get it in the neck. Is this... Yes. So there's no point in trying to chop the seed up into pieces to get more of it. We have to have the whole seed. There's no point in us ripping out the bits of the Bible that we don't like because they, we then just end up with a faith full of holes. No... We need the whole seed and if we do have that then when the seed falls in the good place we will get that extraordinary growth that will bring a smile to bishops and an even greater smile to church treasurers. This is the only hope if you like that we have. This is what caused the great growth in the early church. This is what produced that extraordinary growth fact that we can have a church that begins with 12 people following somebody who's just been executed to a church which a few centuries on can count the Roman emperor amongst its adherents so what's the lesson of the passage it's to have confidence in the gospel that we've given and then To broadcast it, to sow it, to be like a sower. Don't care, don't worry if sometimes you find you're not getting a response. You keep on sowing. Don't worry if it's falling onto rocky soil, onto the path. You keep sowing. That's all we can do. As the church, all we've been given is this seed of the gospel and the command to go out and sow it. That in the end is the only answer that we have. What Jesus is saying in this parable is the answer to church decline is in our hands. The question is, will we start sowing? Amen.